0: That's just one of the original stone carvings, so if you actually feel that, that, that's that's um, incredibly heavy. So the the, the original stone carvings can be very heavy and and they're really quite valuable because obviously when you're carving in stone, you can't make any mistakes. (laughs) So that's, uh, yeah, some of the work is done in, in stone.
1: I'm in the Wild Goose studio being shown around by Jamie McCarthy Fisher the second generation to run this family business in an airy workshop perched on a hillside in the beautiful village of Kinsale on the coast of Cork.
0: So my name is Jamie McCarthy Fisher. I grew up in England but moved to Ireland uh, about 20 years ago now. It's a wonderful place to live. Um, West Cork has a particular flavour to it, a a particular atmosphere, um, something to do with being on the edge of the country on the edge of Europe. Um, It's a a freer place, I suppose. And the people who are attracted to living in a a kind of wild place tend to be interesting people.
1: The studio was originally founded by Jamie's father-in-law, Brian Scott McCarthy, and artist Kathleen Smith, in 1970. They began by making carved reproductions of the ancient stone carvings of Ireland. Knotwork, pre-Christian patterns and swirls, and the ornate scenes from lives of saints that are etched into boulders and high crosses. The name Wild Goose Studio has a very special meaning with its own roots in Irish history. It refers to the nobles and fighting men who went into exile from Ireland when political currents turned against them in the turbulence of the 17th century.
0: The original wild geese were the earls uh, who left Ireland after the final defeat in 1601 and uh, went abroad. Uh, it was typically in the autumn of that year and it was like the wild geese were leaving. Uh, they were migrating from Ireland. Lots of them would have lived in France and Italy and so on afterwards. Brian McCarthy, uh, my father-in-law, was related to one of those wild geese and um He grew up in the UK and very much saw it as his life's work to come back to Ireland and to complete that story uh, of leaving Ireland and then returning. And so he was very attached to that uh, idea. And so when he was coming up with a name for the company, the Wild Goose Studio, um, I suppose he saw himself as the wild goose who was returning to Ireland and was bringing something back with him when he came.
1: However far wild geese travel, they always retain a sense of home and the knowledge of how to return. The image of a goose in flight has become a symbol for the studio and one of its popular products too. A carving of geese by Kathleen Smith, cast in bronze and resin, can be found all over the world, from Australia to Canada, as far as Irish immigrants have roamed. You can find artworks made here in Kinsale by the Wild Goose Studio for sale over at our kind sponsors, biddymurphy.com, the specialists in authentically Irish gifts and goods made on the island of Ireland. Head on over and check them out at www.biddymurphy.com. Hello! Ooh. Welcome to Irish Passport. Uh, let's do it. Welcome to the Irish Passport.
2: I'm Tim McInerney.
1: I'm Naomi O'Leary.
2: We're friends. Can you well, Naomi?
1: Anouar Fad Tim. This is your passport to Irish culture, history, and politics. Uh-huh. I'm recording. One, One two, two, three. three. Okay. Hello everyone and welcome to the Irish Passport Podcast.
2: Hello everyone.
1: Today we are discussing an issue dear to the hearts of everyone with Irish citizenship, particularly those who live outside the Republic, voting rights, and a forthcoming referendum that could see the presidential vote extended to Irish citizens around the world.
2: Right, and this is definitely one that lots of our international listeners may be particularly interested in. Ireland's laws around voting from abroad are particularly restrictive, and this is something that lots of people are really surprised about when you tell them. And the issue came up especially in the last two referendums, which saw huge media coverage around the phenomenon of Irish emigrants travelling home in order to vote.
1: Yes, that was the famous home-to-vote movement. And it was a significant factor in the latest referendums on abortion and on gay marriage.
2: So one question I get all the time um, in relation to that is, why do you have to go home to vote in the first place? Why can't people just send in a postal vote?
1: So the situation as it stands is, in order to vote, the default is that you actually have to be physically present in the local polling station, which is allocated to you based on your home address. And that home address needs to be in the Republic. People can't choose to vote by post as they wish, as they can in many countries. It's possible to vote from a distance only in very strictly regulated circumstances, such as, for example, if you have a disability, if you're working abroad as a diplomat, or if you have some profession that makes it impossible for you to be at that polling station on the day. So, in effect, it means that citizens resident in Northern Ireland and overseas cannot vote in any election or referendum.
2: In today's episode, we'll be speaking to people on the streets of Dublin about how they feel about extending the vote to Irish citizens abroad. We'll also hear from reporter Michael Lanigan about the group Votes for Irish Citizens Abroad, or ViCA, who have launched a campaign in favour of the referendum extending voting rights to overseas citizens.
1: And we'll be examining the arguments for and against a franchise extension, and discussing what the real effects of reform might be.
2: Okay, so first, let's take a look at this coming referendum, which has really brought the question of voting rights for overseas citizens to the fore. Uh, The referendum is scheduled for the autumn, probably November, and if it passes, that would mean that all citizens outside the Republic, including those in Northern Ireland, would have the right to vote in presidential elections.
1: So, Tim, it's worth setting out how restrictive Ireland's laws on overseas voting really are in an international context.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and, you know... This makes it a bit of an outlier internationally. According to 2007 research, over 100 countries around the world have some kind of provision for overseas voting, and 36 of those countries are in Europe, which really puts Ireland in the the minority. Um, In some countries, like the UK, there is a limit of 15 years, after which emigrants can't vote in home elections anymore. In other countries, like France, there's no limit at all. Emigrants can continue to vote in French elections for their whole lives, regardless of where they live. Um, Some countries have other conditions, like in Australia, I believe you can only continue to vote abroad if you intend to return to the country uh, within six years. Um, in Ireland, though, like you said, you have to be resident in the Republic and postal voting is not allowed except for those very specific cases.
1: And Tim, has it always been the case?
2: Well, it's actually in the constitution. And that's why, like so many of these issues, there has to be a referendum before
1: that can be changed. The requirement for residency is particularly uh, has a big impact on Ireland because... First of all, there's the question of Northern Ireland. So at the moment, residents in Northern Ireland can't vote in any elections in the Republic, despite the fact the state recognises that they are Irish uh, as much as anyone else. And that's also despite the fact that the Irish president represents Irish citizens on the whole island and around the world. And indeed, despite the fact that we've had presidents in the past from Northern Ireland.
2: Yeah, right. And that's a really weird situation, actually. Uh, People in Northern Ireland, of course, can run for office of president in the Republic. But if they're not resident in the Republic, they can't vote in their own election. And that was actually the case uh, for Martin McGuinness when he ran for the election a few years ago. Uh, Mary McAleese, of course, who was born in Belgium. famously became the first Irish president from Northern Ireland back in 1997.
1: The second big factor, of course, is that we are a country with a huge diaspora. You sometimes hear the figure of 70 or 80 million people around the world who claim some kind of Irish ancestry. But it's really important not to confuse that number with actual Irish citizens who were abroad. So the vast majority of that tens of millions figure wouldn't qualify to vote, but they are a reminder of the international character of the Irish nation.
2: Uh, Maybe more pertinent in this particular issue is the huge number of recent emigrants. In the financial crash of 2008, Ireland experienced one of the highest emigration rates in the EU. Between 2008 and 2013, according to the Financial Times, one Irish person was leaving the country every six minutes. In 2013 alone, 89,000 people left in one year, which doesn't sound huge for most countries, but it's more or less equivalent to the population of Limerick City, which is probably the third biggest city in the Republic.
1: The fact that none of those people can vote has a huge effect on Irish politics. So as we mentioned, the Home to Vote movement saw Irish people travel from as far as Australia to go home to vote in equal marriage and abortion referendums.
2: Yeah, sure. And we mentioned that that made news across the world. Uh, But what we were seeing in the Home to Vote movement movement was really a dysfunctional system. Uh, those people were mostly young, recent emigrants, who were essentially disenfranchised as soon as they set foot on a plane. Uh, since in many countries they move to, they won't have full rights to vote, it means that those people may never get the chance to vote in a general election again, you know? Um, it's estimated that about 10% of people aged under 25 emigrated during those recession years. Uh, certainly in our friend group, that percentage is far, far higher. If I just think of my own class in secondary school, I would hazard a guess that about 50 or 60% of the class left the country.
1: Yes, certainly among the people I know, it's the minority who remain in Ireland rather than the minority who have left. And the effect of that is mass disenfranchisement of the young. But it also disenfranchises the young within Ireland, the restrictions on voting. So if you think about it, young people are far more mobile than other um, ages in the population. So they move around, whether it's to study, to go and do degrees or to go to... Uh, start new jobs they tend to move around a lot more frequently than older groups in the population and having a requirement to vote where you are registered with no provision for early voting or postal voting that affects young people disproportionately because they are so mobile. It, it, put, it burdens them with much more bureaucracy in order to, to meet the requirements and they are also more, much less likely just to be in the place where they are supposed to be on voting day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And a really good example of this for instance um, are the case of students of course who might be studying in a different town or city or p- young people who Who have had to leave their hometown to find work, maybe in the capital. Something else to say about that is that voting in Ireland often takes place on a Friday, which means that if you're a young person who's studying or who's working, um, it might be impossible for you to get home in time to vote on the same day. So in Ireland This kind of Disenfranchisement Of the young Whether they are resident In the country or not That has huge ramifications Like you said Uh, Arguably one of the reasons That Ireland Maintained so many Outdated And draconian laws Throughout the 20th century Was that the country Was you know Constantly hemorrhaging Its young voters You had generation After generation Of people Who might have had ideas For change or renewal Who were just leaving The country every year uh, And then automatically Being denied a vote And thus surrendering a disproportionate influence to older voters. It's absolutely no coincidence that the radical political changes in Ireland re- in recent years coincided with a period when emigration was slowing down. Uh, there is a case for opening up uh, more flexible voting that would make it easier to vote by post or by proxy, but as far as I understand, that isn't on the table at the moment, right? Uh, the referendum that we have before us is proposing. Only that the vote be extended for presidential elections. Uh, so why not? You know, why not open up a proposal for all votes in all elections? Why is this still restricted?
1: It's a good question, and we'll answer that in a minute. But first of all, it's important to point out that the presidential election is not the most consequential election in Ireland, like to say the least. Presidents in Ireland are mainly ceremonial figureheads. Like they have um, some constitutional functions, and some of them are important, but they don't have policies. You know, they're they're supposed to be the president for everybody and politically neutral. It is a hugely important position, however. They're supposed to be this unifying figure for the nation and they're Ireland's representative on the international stage. They're particularly important in international diplomacy, for example. It would be somewhat similar to the role that monarchs play in uh, monarchies, like the Queen in the UK.
2: Sure, right. And if you want to know more about the Office of President, this is as good a time as any to mention that if you are interested, we did make a half-pint episode about it exclusively for our Patreon supporters. So you can check that out by popping over to www.patreon.com forward slash theirishpassport and becoming a supporter of the podcast. But yeah, let's get that plug out of the way. Um, Naomi, (laughs) would I be right in saying then that this referendum is just... Uh, testing the waters for wider reform by by remaining uh, in the presidential election?
1: I would see this as a test case. Certainly if the government is embarrassed by a strong rejection of the proposal by the public I just can't see this issue being returned to any time soon. But the reason why this particular change is on the table is because it wasn't actually chosen by the government it was decided by the Constitutional Convention of 2012. So that was a big gathering of citizens a bit like the Citizens' Assembly that which uh, was asked by the government of the time to discuss ways in which Ireland uh, could be reformed. And the most famous conclusion of the Constitutional Convention was that equal marriage should be legalized. And it was by referendum, of course, in 2015. But it also had a bunch of other conclusions. And one of them was that all Irish citizens should be allowed to vote for president.
3: Hmm.
2: Right. That's so interesting. You know, of course, there has been huge interest around the world in um, things like the Constitutional Convention, um, notably the UK has been considering borrowing the idea to avoid situations like um, Brexit or or the chaos around Brexit from coming up again. And in the case of the last two referendums, the findings from that constitutional convention and the Citizens Assembly, you know, they turned out to be really on the money when it came to gauging actual uh, voter sentiment. So, this new referendum, I understand, was originally due to take place in May, right? But it was delayed.
1: That's right. It was due to take place in May and it was delayed because essentially the government has been swamped by Brexit. It was pushed Back to October, and now the government is a kind of briefing that it's probably going to be November because, after all, October is uh, Brexit D Day, the latest Brexit D Day month. The government still has to publish legislation on the precise wording of the question and lay out all the details about how voting would work if it passes because, of course, there are different ways that this could be done. You know, you could have people go to embassies to vote or they could go to, to post. There's questions about how would they register. But according to the government, so far, its plan is to roll out online registration and postal voting.
2: Now the campaign really got underway this summer. Let's hear from VICA, or Votes for Citizens Abroad, who launched their campaign in favour of the change in the Emigration Museum in Dublin. Reporter Michael Lanigan went along for us to capture the scene and speak to people about why this issue is so important to them. Let's hear from him.
4: Uh, hi guys, you're all very welcome to uh, EPIC, the Irish Immigration Museum. Uh, we are so grateful...
5: It's for June 10th and the campaign group Votes for Irish Citizens Abroad, VICA, has called a public meeting at EPIC, the Irish Immigration Museum in Dublin. VICA is a London-based organisation which is actively seeking to give Irish citizens overseas the ability to vote in Irish elections and referendums. The first major step in their campaign will be to build support for the government's current proposal to amend the constitution so as to give citizens living abroad the opportunity to vote in the Irish presidential elections.
4: Um, So we're actually on our own in this one largely we're we're one of the ones that don't have this right so far so over 120 countries around the world have voting rights for citizens who are abroad and that extends across all types of elections including parliamentary and so on Um, and in Europe uh, I think that, I think it's 33 actually, 33 countries in Europe um, that have the voting rights. We're one of about three that don't. Um, so you know we're not on the right side of this. Um, those democracies are all the more richer and fuller for the engagement of their citizens here abroad.
5: The matter was first seriously discussed at the 2013 constitutional convention, wherein 78% of its members were in favour of the extension. Then, in 2017, former Taoiseach Enda Kenny officially confirmed that a referendum would take place while he was on his final official St. Patrick's Day visit to the United States. This extension, the Department of Foreign Affairs estimates, would give the right to approximately 3.6 million voters outside the Republic of Ireland, with this figure accounting for both citizens who live abroad for more than 18 months and those who reside in Northern Ireland. And that last detail is particularly striking since the Belfast Agreement guarantees Irish citizenship to all those born on the island.
4: Well, my name is Ben Kelly. Uh, I was born in Derry, Northern Ireland, lived most of my life there. Uh, I live and work in London now and I got involved in this campaign because I feel really passionately about uh, franchising Irish citizens abroad, particularly all my family and friends and everyone I know at home in Northern Ireland. Um, You know, the President is a symbol for everyone around the world. He represents us in the North um, the president crosses the borders of north-south, uh, home abroad, even sometimes, you know, nationalist unionists. It's very very inclusive role, and I think that we should be involved in that inclusivity. Um, you know, I think back to Mary Robinson, uh, who put the candle in the window for the diaspora, and then Mary McAleese. And of course, Mary McAleese was born in Belfast. she? stayed in Belfast, she couldn't have voted for herself, her neighbors couldn't have voted for her, Um, and yet she went on to be a two-time president, one of our most successful ever, and someone who was an incredible ambassador on the world stage, uh, particularly at a time, when you think about it, across the late 90s into the noughties during the peace process and, and those building of bridges. Uh, she was often at the heart of that, whether it was you know reaching out on the 12th of July or to the Orange Order or speaking to different political groups. She kind of showed the transformative nature of the presidency. And we felt a part of that in Northern Ireland, and I think that we should be a part of the vote as well. There's a lot of affection for President Higgins. There's a lot of affection for the office and what it stands for. He is our head of state, um, and I think that people in Northern Ireland should be allowed to vote for the president.
3: Um, I say my name is Harmon. I worked on the Together for Yes campaign. Um, I was the head of the mobilisation team, and I would have worked on the marriage equality referendum as well when I was working in student politics at the time. Um, but I suppose I just want to say about this referendum, what really strikes me about it is, first of all, I think it's extremely exciting. I think this is a huge opportunity to create a more inclusive democracy uh, in this country and to create real meaningful um, change and to extend the franchise out. Because currently, uh, our citizens um, are, that are living abroad are disenfranchised. Um, and I think it was, you know, it was really evident in the last uh, two referendums in particular. And we saw with the with the Home to Vote campaign that there was a huge um, appetite for citizens abroad to have their say in referendums. But, you know, they were unable to do so. And the ones that were able to come back, you know, could afford to. Well, I'm sure there were many others that would have loved to have voted as well, but they couldn't, you know, afford to travel back um, to cast their ballots. Um, so I think um, what we saw with the last two referendums, I think, that really struck me was it was really about, you know, the majority or, you know, one part of society... Voting to to allow rights, um, you know, for others.
6: Um, my name is Alan Flanagan. I am uh, from Longford, but I've been in London for about seven years now. I'm working with VICA.
5: How is How that you initially decided to get involved in this campaign?
6: I think, and it's, it's it's one of the things that kind of came up as a common, recurring theme in in, in the speeches tonight was this was the experience of the last two referendums. Um, I think that I think that it was incredible to see. A, the country's ability to change mm-hmm. and and B, how much citizens abroad care. So I was I was kind of um, I had been involved in marriage equality over the years kind of stretching back to 2008 and then I got more and more involved with the London Irish abortion rights campaign being over there and they are a fantastic example of Irish citizens making a difference and I don't just mean in the Republic because they are an all-Ireland group and they work and they have been working as seen this week on, on many things in Northern Ireland. I was kind of joyous and infuriated at the idea of being distant and not being able to have a say and and play a part in the political process considering me and so many people I know care about it. So that's kind of how I got involved in votes for Irish citizens abroad.
5: One of the reasons that uh, I was seeing that was um, arguing against a referendum was the concern that this uh, sudden increase in uh, voters could either uh, drastically change um, which uh, party has the most influence or which ideology has the most
6: influence in Ireland. I mean, I don't think it would have a huge impact on the political system. From the numbers point of view, actually, if you look at a lot of countries, it tends to be only a small number of engaged citizens living outside the Republic who would be engaged in this. Canada has 2 million citizens living outside the country. 16,000 voted at a recent election. About 4% of eligible UK voters living outside of the UK voted in the Brexit referendum. So when we look at the numbers, we see that it's tens of people who maybe are recently gone, quite engaged, kind of know what they're talking about. But I suppose beyond all those things, on a basic level, I don't think that you should deny someone the right to vote because you might disagree with them. I think that's a very dangerous attitude to have to the electoral process. I think that expanding democracy has only ever improved countries in our history. It's restricting democracy where things have gotten pretty horrible.
7: My name is Kevin Sullivan. I'm one of the founding members with Senator Billy Lawless and Noreen Bowden of Voting Rights, IE, which is an immigrant voting effort to uh, secure the vote. Mm -hmm. And where do you live? I live in Washington, D.C. I'm first-generation Irish. I have an Irish passport. My children have Irish passports. My family's from Tyrone and my family's from Cork. I got my Irish passport and citizenship three years ago because my mother was born in Ireland, and I looked up uh, voting rights, and I was just quite astonished that uh, I had no voting rights. But I I come from the United States where voting rights had to be fought for. Uh, The iconic American civil rights leader John Lewis, as a personal friend of mine, and he was arrested 40 times just to get the vote and beaten. He was the leader of the Selma March. So I'm quite passionate about the right to vote. And I was astonished and surprised, so I said, well, let me talk to Billy Wallace and try to help him out and support him.
6: The president is there to represent Irish citizens all over the world. And in fact, the role of president has often been at its most important when it is about Irish citizens outside of the Republic. And it's also a case of kind of, I suppose, symbolism. It's that idea of what does it mean to be Irish? I mean, look at where we are, look around. To be Irish is not something that stops when you get on a plane. It's not something that stops when you drive across the border. The role of the president is one that, at its core, is about symbolism. And that doesn't mean that it's weak, because symbolism is incredibly strong. It's about what it means to be Irish. And the president represents you on the world stage. If citizens in the Republic elect a Llythramon for president, (laughs) it affects citizens living all over the world. It affects our reputation all over the world. So that's why we're so focused and we care so much about the role of president, is because it matters to us, it's our representative, and it's a symbol, but it's a powerful one and it helps to define and to strengthen ireland's i suppose we have a a strong kind of soft power internationally that's kind of where where ireland tends to get its power is from reputation from relationships and the irish president is the bedrock of that so that's why we think it's so important that citizens in northern ireland citizens around the world are able to vote for that representative. But the, kind of the last thing um, that would be good to say is that in the run-up to a referendum, the kind of default feeling can be kind of fear and panic, because you have this opportunity that might be missed. But sitting here, looking around here, looking at the people in the room, looking at the people on the screens, it's also this sense of hope. And that means that I think that this will not just be a well-fought and hard-fought referendum. I think it will be a positive experience for this country. Thank you very, very, very much. So
2: Naomi, I think it's safe to say that views about this issue are maybe a lot more divided than you might think.
1: Absolutely. A lot of people are in favour of some kind of voting reform, but they're divided on what form it should take. So to get an idea of people's views, um, when I was in Liberty Hall in Dublin recently for an event about women in politics, I took the opportunity to take out my microphone. I kind of grill people on their views just to test people out and get an idea of how people were thinking. So to different people about the presidential vote referendum, and I played devil's advocate at times for both the pro and anti side, as you'll hear. And there were a couple of things that I found really interesting from those conversations. Firstly, I didn't find a very high level of awareness about the referendum, and secondly, even people who were initially enthusiastic tempered their views if they were told there was, wasn't any kind of residency requirement, as in it didn't matter. If you had previously been resident in Ireland or it didn't matter if there was a sort of there wasn't going to be any kind of time limit after which having moved away from Ireland you couldn't vote anymore. Once they were told that it was just all Irish citizens irrespective of any kind of limits like that people tended to change their minds. Remember of course because you can get Irish citizenship through a parent there exist of course Irish citizens who haven't actually been in Ireland. Let's hear from the Mood in Dublin.
2: My name is Carla,
1: I'm 21 and uh, I am a musician. My name is Ellen, I'm 21 and I am also a musician. So what would you think of the idea, currently there's no uh, provision for anyone to vote for the Irish president unless they're resident and physically present in the Republic of Ireland. What do you think of extending the right to vote to people uh, who are Irish citizens anywhere, so that would include Northern Ireland or anywhere around the world? Yeah, I think I actually
2: didn't know that that was a thing. So I think that it's crazy. So I think, yeah, I'm definitely in favour of it. But I had no idea that it was, um, that there was even a referendum.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm the same. I didn't realise that. I thought if once you had Irish citizenship, then you were fine in terms of voting. But um, yeah, like if, if you have an Irish passport, then the decision is going to affect you at some point. So I think that they should have all the voting rights for the president. What do you understand the role of the president to be? Like, what does what does it mean for you? Um, I think, to a certain extent, the president is more of a figurehead, but
4: um, because they do represent Ireland to a certain extent, I think it is very important that everyone has the
2: right to choose who that person is. It's important and it will affect us, and it is how our country
1: is represented, so I think everyone should be allowed to vote for who that person is.
8: Dara Murray, 22, and I'm a student in Trinity College.
1: And so this idea of extending the right to vote for president to Irish citizens, irrespective of where they are, what, what's your immediate reaction to that?
8: It just makes sense. Like Germans do it, and like, any German that comes to Ireland can still vote in any of their elections and votes and stuff, so it just makes sense that that Irish people anywhere in the world can have a, have a say in Irish matters, because they might only be gone for a couple of years and then have to come back to the mess that they didn't get to vote in.
1: Uh, so I, I get the sense from you, you would even go further than just president. You would be happy for people to vote in uh, standard general elections, that kind of thing.
8: The president, presidential election, would be the least important of the elections that go on in this country. In fairness, like, so referendum is more so than president, but yeah, anything.
1: It doesn't concern you the size of the, just size of the Irish diaspora that um, this could be something that might significantly change Irish politics if they were all politically engaged.
8: Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say some Irish person who emigrates, their children, I wouldn't entitle the children, but like any Irish person who has emigrated, not anyone that's the second generation Irish, only directly Irish people.
9: My name is Brian Tracy, I'm the technical manager in Liberty Hall for SIP2 and I was an emigrant for 12 years in the UK and Europe. Uh, My opinion on your question would be that there has to be a cut-off point and I would say that that would be a decade because really after a decade you've settled where you are. You may have children, bought property, whatever. But it's time for you then to become involved in the politics of the country you're living in rather than the country that you're from.
1: What about someone who might be, for example, working on an oil rig or driving a cargo ship and might not be resident in Ireland but might not have a tie to any other country either?
9: There are exemptions already for seamen and that would easily could work for temporary workers who are abroad Uh, temporary workers abroad are basically on a contract basis and it could be six months a year two years five years in saudi or whatever but there is gaps between your renewal so at least they know what's going on in the country they're voting in as against people who would be second generation irish american or something like that may have an opinion from their parents but that opinion can sometimes be seen through rose-tinted lenses.
10: My name is Jane Grimes. I'm a psychologist. What's your initial reaction to extending the vote? Um, 100%. I think it should be done. I've lived for the last 16 years in London and I haven't been able to vote in the repeal vote. Um, I haven't been able to vote in the change to marriage legislation for equal marriage rights. 100%. I I think unfortunately people don't choose to leave Ireland. Often do leave Ireland for economic reasons and have good intentions to go back at some point or another, but it's actually quite off-putting when you look at your own country from a distance, see the progress that could be made. Um, I, think, I think it's fair enough to say if you're out of a country for maybe, for me, out of 16 years, I don't expect that I will necessarily retain my right to vote, but I think within about five years of leaving the country at worst i think you should retain the right to vote
1: so now this specific one is just the vote for president that's all so it's not for general elections not for referendums okay. it's just as an initial one. but it will be seen as a test case for those further rights i suspect now some people have an issue with it because they say irish citizens okay but that means anyone with one irish grandparent there's no requirement to have ever, ever even visited the country would that give you any pause or would that kind of moderate your support in any way
10: I think it's important that you have lived in the country to be able to vote for the president. Um, But I think, yes, to be able to vote for the president as somebody who's lived in the country, yes, then I think that you should retain the right even if you've left. For people people who've never lived in the country, maybe have an Irish passport, no, I'd be less inclined. I think you've really got to kind of understand the country, where the country's going, kind of the challenges facing the country, and I think it's very easy to romanticise that when you've grown up in another country entirely. I think, yeah, you've got to understand the struggles, I think. So yeah, I think you should have some link.
2: What really strikes me about those clips actually is um, how much people are quick to change their minds on this issue um, when a counterpoint is brought up. Um, I suppose, like you say, you know, it could just be a question that a lot of people haven't heard about this very much or they haven't thought about it very much yet. But it also shows that this issue brings up larger questions, I suppose, of how exactly, you know, different people would like to see their voting system work.
1: I find it really interesting to hear how people seem to attach kind of qualifications to Irish citizenship. Like, it's not simply enough to be a citizen, but there should be something further that you know people didn't had different ideas about but particularly that residency question seemed to be important for people
2: yeah that's interesting isn't it i mean uh, certainly personally i I would take the view that you know a citizen is a citizen regardless of where they are so a citizen who has never set foot in the country shouldn't be treated any differently to one who has you know because that's what being a citizen means there does seem to be a bit of a have your cake and eat it too sentiment going on there last year we interviewed a Irish people about UK residents claiming Irish passports, and the overwhelming response was positive and welcoming. You know, but it seems that while we might be happy to have a diaspora citizenry, maybe we're not so sure about letting them get involved in the politics of the country.
1: I've heard other people say that voting rights should be extended to those in the north, but not to those resident outside the island. In my kind of experience, that's quite a common view. Um, But it's important to say that that isn't really an option. Uh, because you can't really extend rights specifically only to people in Northern Ireland. For one thing, it would be seen as very politically provocative by unionist parties and by Britain, but I actually struggled to see how it could be achieved in the law. So the wording that was put into our constitution under the Good Friday Agreement acknowledged that laws passed in the Oireachtas and Dublin only apply in the Republic and not in Northern Ireland. So I don't see how you can pass a law specifically to affect Irish citizens in Northern Ireland and not elsewhere.
2: But at a governmental level then, who exactly has come out for this referendum and who is against?
1: In general, it has really, really broad political support. So... Definitely in favour are Finnegale, Finnefall, and Sinn Fein, which already means basically if it was just down to a vote in Parliament, it would pass. But the government has been really slow in publishing legislation setting out the details of its proposal. And in the absence of it being carefully explained as it stands, it's not clear that it has enough public support to pass. Those voices that we heard earlier raised some of the objections that exist to the change. As far as I can see, a lot of it has its roots in the ideas, the images that people in the Republic have of the diaspora, who they are and what they're like.
2: Sure, right. Uh, one example that's um, brought up uh, quite a lot of that is the fact that during the conflict in Northern Ireland, there was a lot of fundraising in the United States for Republican paramilitary groups. And that left um, some enduring perceptions in Ireland you know, about the American diaspora and what its political persuasion would be.
1: Yes, exactly. That overseas support for republicanism in Ireland has left an enduring image that Irish Americans in the US might have a kind of a simplistically nationalistic view, perhaps an idea of Ireland that's out of date now. Also, perhaps... There was a sense that they were supporting a conflict that in which they didn't run the risk of bearing the consequences. And that's an enduring idea today that voters, particularly in the, in the US, might vote idealistically. But be free from having to live out the direct consequences of those political choices.
2: Yes, and of course, another common perception is that the diaspora, especially in the USA, might be more socially conservative. For example, uh, it has been a struggle uh, to get Saint Patrick's Day parades in the United States to allow LGBT groups to take part, and that's very out of step with uh, modern Ireland um, at the moment. Of course, in general, U.S. politics is much more right-wing anyway than Irish politics, and people worry about Irish people living in America being maybe different in their perspectives and their political perspectives.
1: And that of course goes for Britain too. Um, Brexit is um, a very foreign political development that's quite alienating to people in Ireland. And in both cases of the US and the UK, Uh, which have such strong Irish diasporas, there's been a bit of a phenomenon of people with Irish surnames who are clearly of Irish descent and sometimes openly identify with that very strongly, being prominent in these right-wing political movements, uh, which just don't exist in Ireland and which people find kind of alarming. So there's this fear, you know, that are these people that we would enfranchise, are they the ones that are caught up in these nationalistic political movements? And what if they brought those kind of politics home to Ireland?
2: Yeah, sure. And I I suppose those are common enough worries when it comes to this vote. But what it does reveal, interestingly, is that many people connect the idea of overseas voting with the most negative stereotypes of the diaspora they can think of. You know, there's also people like me around, you know, like um, like there's a million types of uh, Irish immigrants. So this kind of radical, diasporic bogeyman, you know, um, with a nostalgic link to the country, but totally out of touch with its current reality, you know, that's maybe something that of the imagination mostly. That idea is powerfully persuasive, though. Uh, in terms of turning people against overseas voting, just blanketly.
1: That's it exactly. It's an imaginary stereotype, but it's hugely powerful. And I kind of hate this particular issue because I know how hurtful and how alienating it is to the Irish people who are being judged and stereotyped in this way. Um, My own personal nickname for it is the fantasy yank argument. So like everyone, all of us, we can all imagine some hypothetical American who we disagree with. But What's happening here is people are imagining um, some theoretical person that they disagree with and using that person to disenfranchise everyone, to disenfranchise me, to disenfranchise you, Tim, to disenfranchise anyone living abroad, any Irish person in all of their huge complexity and diversity of circumstances remember this proposed change only applies to Irish citizens just as Irish as anyone in the Republic and also ones who are motivated enough anyway to register to vote and then use that vote in a presidential election so I see it as inherently contradictory to have this idea that they're not you know, sufficiently engaged with Ireland
2: Oh right, yeah that's a good point actually so uh, if you are an Irish citizen and if you're motivated enough to actually use your vote which you know like the majority actually of people uh, in Ireland don't bother to do um, it's pretty unlikely that you don't take you know any interest in the country
1: it, it simply doesn't make sense and also the very argument that we shouldn't allow people to vote who we disagree with that absolutely sucks as an argument it's it's basically like saying I agree with democracy but only if I get the result that I want There and also like there's no knowledge test that people have to pass before they're allowed to vote and if it were that would be Firstly, a terrible undemocratic thing, but also lots of people resident in the Republic wouldn't pass it. You know, it's not like uh, just being resident of the Republic somehow endows you with this profound understanding that, you know, your fellow Irish citizen who happens to be working in the UK doesn't have. You know, if the real issue that people have, and I suspect there might actually be two issues here that are being confused If the real issue people have is that they're uncomfortable with Irish nationality laws, which allow citizenship to be passed down through dissent, that is a separate debate. That is totally separate from enfranchising Irish citizens who are outside the boundaries of the republic. But something that's really astonished me, actually, is I kind of wasn't surprised to hear these ideas, unflattering stereotypes about the diaspora coming up uh, in relation to the US and so on. But I was really astonished to hear the same kind of exclusionary thinking being applied to people in Northern Ireland. So it came up in particular in a recent column by an Irish opinion writer who essentially wrote, you know... Politics are different up there and we don't want it. We don't want any part of it down here. Like, we should keep them out. Like, maybe I'm a bit naive or sheltered, but like, I've just been really shocked at this mindset. Like, who are these people who have such a narrow small-minded notion of what the Irish nation is. Do, do they not know their history?
2: <laughs> right, yeah. Well, now, of course, Naomi, this is an issue that you are very passionate about, clearly. Um, and you recently wrote an article for Slugger O'Toole, the Northern Irish blog, where you you really took apart um, a, a lot of the arguments against extending the franchise one by one, right?
1: Yeah, well, I did that. And just to set out like a bit of context about why, essentially, I do think there needs to be voting reform. I do think it disenfranchises the youth, and that's one of the major reasons why uh, it needs to happen. We're international outliers. I, I agree with all of that. If it were up to me personally, I would consider starting with a different kind of voting reform, but this one is the one that the Constitutional Convention recommended, and I respect that. I respect that process. But what drew me into this particular issue and um, kind of got me to write that article was just, you know, the argue- I was really frustrated with the arguments against. Um, a, a lot of them are based in a kind of in either misunderstanding or confusion or small-mindedness. But, it, you know, people just nonetheless kept making them. And I got very frustrated. And so, I, and I was just thinking about it in my own mind for so long that I was like, okay, I'm just going to write this down. And, you know, I might as well write it down as an article since I've spent, you know, a week kind of thinking about it. And I also had this real fear that if this referendum fails, it will both alienate the diaspora, you know, insult our Irish citizens abroad, especially after the Home to Vote movement, you know, when people did so much, you know. Um, but also it might uh, reduce the chances of further voting reform, which I think is so important in the future. So, yeah, I I kind of waded into the whole debate with this article on Slugger where I took apart the most common arguments that I see People bringing up against the reform.
2: Right. Well, I'm 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 sure that you know a lot of people listening to this actually you know might be eligible to vote in this referendum, and they might be wondering what the facts are. Um, so it would be a good idea, I think, if we actually you know go through that again, take a look at some of those arguments. As you've probably guessed, listeners, I'm all for voting reform too. But in this instance, Naomi, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to throw some of those arguments at you against extending the franchise. So uh, are you ready to defend them?
1: I'm frankly terrified, Tim, but go for it. All
2: right, okay. Um, Okay, so let's start with uh, the North. Um, One argument that has been personally put to me, actually, is a worry about involving DUP voters in any way, or more extreme loyalists in any way, in Southern politics. Um, So, you know, should people who might, let's say, burn the Irish flag on the 11th of July, should they be uh, voting in a way that might influence the Republic?
1: Okay, I find it quite funny that the idea that uh, loyalists, um, extreme loyalists who might burn the Irish flag, would overcome their uh, feelings towards Irishness and actually become Irish themselves... <laughs> and go through that process and then actually, you know, get organised and then vote in an in the election for the head of the Irish state no less. Um, I think if someone is Irish, you know, then they are an Irish citizen like anyone else and if they are in hugely, if they have a huge objection to being Irish and to, you know, to the Irish state they're not going to be able to vote because they're not going to take citizenship it, it would take an incredibly motivated like an improbably motivated person to take a citizenship merely to kind of cause mischief you know in a neighbouring state it, it's a kind of there's first of all unlikely but then also second of all again you can't just disenfranchise people because you don't like the way they vote it's very poor and it's undemocratic and also the, remember that the extension of such voting rights uh, to the north would encompass yes it would it, it would potentially op- open up voting to anyone born in Northern Ireland which would c- include unionists Um but it would it, all of those people encompass a great range of views. So obviously, you've got it's, you've got a division. You've got maybe. I think in the last election it was thirty odd percent, maybe as high as forty, voting for for the DUP and for unionists. And then you've got a, you know, obviously a nationalist block. Um, you've got Sinn Fein voters, SDLP voters, quite a large segment in the middle who are sort of middle ground voters, and that's a growing segment voting for Alliance and and so on. There's a balance there. You wouldn't get this sort of powerful block of, um, of DUP voters who might wield an influence. They would be balanced just as they are, you know, in Northern Ireland by voters who disagree with them.
2: Right, okay and I suppose even more so because you'd also have all those other voters um, overseas uh, Irish citizens who, you know, don't vote for the DP
1: Indeed, yeah, that's just when it comes to the, to the North. But also, like, on principle, look, if they're Irish citizens, you know, they're as Irish as any other person. You can't exclude them just because, you know, we feel like we don't like the sound of them based of our, on our own prejudices.
2: Right, OK, right. So, like, widening that argument then, what about the concern that the current Irish electorate, which, of course, is very, very small, um, what if that might be swamped by all these new voters? Um, you know, wouldn't there be, like, uh, logistically?
1: I think the fear of... Um, The current Irish electorate being outnumbered by new voters comes from the confusion between that figure of 70, 80 million people who claim some kind of Irish ancestry and the actual number of overseas citizens. So the actual number of overseas citizens, according to the Department of Foreign Affairs, is 3.6 million, including children. And everyone. So that's not the actual size of the electorate, that would be smaller. Um, and that also includes everybody in Northern Ireland. So it imagines that every man, woman and child in Northern Ireland could vote, which obviously they can't because some of them are under 18. But also that they would. And clearly, you know, some people who are British identifying uh, wouldn't wouldn't take irish citizenship and wouldn't be interested in voting for the irish head of state so you wouldn't have as many as that in the end but that's the figure it's 3.6 million um, so about of those about two million are in northern ireland um, then of the remaining 1.6 million about half of those are people who were born in ireland and then emigrated just slightly under half are are, are people like their children
2: Okay, right. I hear you. But let's imagine that out of those 3.6 million people, let's just say that a third of them uh, could be eligible voters. You know, that's still over a million new p- potential votes. And that would represent about a fifth of the current population of the Republic, right?
1: If you look at international trends, so we, we, it's useful that many, many, most other countries have provision for this. And if you look at what the situation is with other countries, the number who actually vote is far fewer than the number who can. Um, So for example, in countries like Canada, Australia, and the UK, it's only actually a fraction of their overseas voters who are even registered to vote and an even smaller number use that. So just as an example, Canada has about 2 million overseas citizens and about 15,600 were registered to vote in the 2016 general election and of those, only about 11,000 voted, So, a tiny wow. percentage.
2: 11,000. Hold on, I'm just going to, I'm going to that, tot that up on my phone. So, that uh, 11,000 out of 2 million, that's 0.55% of the total overseas population. So, wow, actually, that's, that's really, really tiny. That said, I suppose, though, Ireland does have a, a particularly small population Uh, So even a few more thousand people voting or even a few more hundred people voting could have a significant impact. Um, Like what if all those people voted for radical parties or measures, let's say?
1: It's quite common if we hear of a big number, like those large numbers of new voters, we kind of imagine that that whole block just gets added onto the vote tally for one particular candidate or party. Um, Usually people imagine, for example, that all of these people might vote for Sinn Féin given the support that that party has in Northern Ireland and the idea that the US diaspora as quite Republican, which we discussed earlier. But there's actually not very much evidence to believe that an electorate, which is highly diverse and very dispersed geographically, um, would all vote, you know, in one way. Um, That's actually pretty unlikely. Like, these are people who have um, emigrated from Ireland over different decades, over the 20th century, different ages, you know, different backgrounds, and their children. There's a hugely diverse mix. And just like anywhere in the world, any group of people, they're going to have a mix of political views. Um, so it's more that their votes would be distributed among the different parties. It's very unlikely that they would all suddenly vote in a block, you know, and kind of cause cause massive shifts. And then also, remember, the current proposal is only to allow the overseas citizens to vote for president. Um, remember, the, the president doesn't have power over policy. So they can't really make big, drastic decisions, uh, which is, you know, some people seem to fear. So, and also to become a candidate, presidential hopefuls have to be nominated by 20 members of the Irish Parliament or by four local authorities. So the only candidates available do go through a kind of vetting process.
2: Right, OK, um, here's an argument that someone put very smugly to me um, a year a year or two ago. Uh, you know who you are. Um, so it's about taxation. People who have never paid tax in Ireland or who never will, you know, should they be allowed to make decisions about public re- representatives and decisions that are made, you know, uh, about paying for those tax revenues. Uh, Famously, of course, you know, back in the American Revolution, the rallying cry was no taxation without representation. Uh, So, should we consider that there should be no representation without taxation?
1: This really drives me mad, this one, because there is no argument that there shouldn't be any representation without taxation. It's just literally that famous phrase put into reverse, and because it has a certain familiarity, people seem to just cite it like it's biblical law. Not allowing people to vote unless they pay tax just isn't a rule, and it shouldn't be either, because if you think about it, just for a minute, it's linking voting to monetary contributions. So what about people, for example, like the retired, elderly, in older people homes, anyone in a residential facility, people with disabilities, sick people, students, all these people don't have wages, people who don't pay income tax account for about a third of the electorate, in fact. And you could say, OK, well, it's not the only kind of tax. People also say pay VAT if they buy stuff. OK, well, then, you know, does buying stuff in Ireland lend you some kind of, you know, say or right to have a vote like any tourist? You know, the, the whole concept is nonsense. It's just not a thing. It's just a famous phrase said backwards.
2: Right, okay, well, that, that's you told. All right, okay. Um, <laughs> fine, okay. So looking at something totally different then, um, what about, of course, the contentious fact that not all immigrants to Ireland are given the vote? At the moment, uh, EU citizens who live in Ireland, excluding those from the UK, um, they can only vote for local and EU elections. And non-EU citizens who live in Ireland, you can, they can only vote for uh, local elections. So wouldn't it be maybe unfair to see us extending the vote to citizens who maybe have never set foot in the country while people could live in the country for all their lives and remain disenfranchised?
1: Well, remember now, residents in Ireland do have a route to citizenship and therefore to full voting rights. But at the heart of this, there are two different issues. Um, So you might believe that immigrants to Ireland and their descendants should have easier access to citizenship and to voting rights. And that is a totally, uh, you know, fair position. But argue for that. Don't argue for disenfranchising others, you know? They're just two entirely different situations. It just shouldn't have any bearing on the case for Irish citizens abroad being allowed to vote for president.
2: Okay, so I'm finally going to come to the, uh, what I like to call the NHS argument, which is, um, can be made against anything. Uh, Why isn't that money being sent to the NHS? (laughs) Of course, um, that's specific (laughs) to the BBC in a UK context, but it comes up all the time. Uh, But let's use it here. So, like, what's the point? Um, You know, like we said, the president is... uh, largely symbolic position you've highlighted that only a fraction of eligible voters overseas will actually use their vote anyway and once a decision has been made it will probably make no real impact anyway because um the president can't make uh, policy decisions so why bother spending all this time and money on extending a presidential vote to those overseas you know why not put the money into the health service
1: Well, because loads of people want to vote, like, you know, um, it's really important and meaningful for people to be able to have a say in who the president is. Lots of people feel that the president represents them. And they do have to live with the consequence of who that president is as overseas citizens, since he's still their head of state. And particularly for people in the north, it's kind of a scandal, the extent to which they're, you know, disenfranchised in all ways, even though, you know, they see Ireland as their state. That's kind of untenable. And yeah, like I say, there's a cost to not doing this you know like it's a rejection of Irish citizens who are as Irish as anyone else and disenfranchising them is it's a negative thing it's a it's a a kind of a It's particularly unhelpful given how much the Irish government and Ireland has been making of its diaspora and trying to court them and uh, bring them home and, you know, kind of promote tourism and all this kind of thing. It's, um, It's kind of inconsistent if you want to engage the diaspora, but only so far, you know, only so far as they're happy to spend their tourist dollars in the place, not so far as actually giving them a real meaningful stake uh, along with their citizenship. And, you know, like we said at the beginning, our laws are really restrictive. We are the outliers here. And I think personally, it's harder to make the case that they should remain as they are. You know, that we, sh- you know, it's harder to argue that we should disenfranchise all the Irish citizens who are outside the narrow 26 county boundary. I think that giving Irish people voting rights, all Irish people, is the right thing to do. Um, but apart from being the right thing to do, it's also strategically clever. So uh, there are good reasons to do so. Ireland is a really small nation uh, that relies on soft power. And historically, the diaspora has played a really important role in the Irish state coming into existence. Um, They've also contributed economically and amplified Ireland's voice internationally since the existence of the Irish state. Um, And that's why it's been a key Foreign policy concern for many many years uh, for the Irish government to maintain and strengthen links with the diaspora because it's an asset, it's a huge asset, and having that large English-speaking, successful diaspora that's invested in Irish affairs—that's an asset that many small countries could only dream of.
2: Yeah, absolutely right, and like you, you put it very well, uh, very very eloquent there, Naomi. Um, it's, it's absolutely worth you know mentioning here that the the, cons- the concept of the Irish nation is not strictly geographically bound. It's not geographically bound because of especially the long dispute over Northern Ireland, but also because of this really, really long history and ongoing history of uh, emigration.
1: Exactly. And the constitution recognises the Irish nation as being made up of all its citizens on the island of Ireland and around the world. Here's what it has to say on the matter. It is the entitlement and birthright of every person born on the island of Ireland, which includes its islands and seas, to be part of the Irish nation. That is also the entitlement of all persons otherwise qualified, in accordance with law, to be citizens of Ireland. Furthermore, the Irish nation cherishes its special affinity with people of Irish ancestry living abroad, who share its cultural identity and heritage.
2: Okay, all right. so last word here. Naomi, what chances do you think this referendum has of passing, be honest?
1: It's early days... We have to see how the campaign unfolds over the months ahead. I wouldn't want to call anything so prematurely, but I would say that even though it has cross-party political support. Views on it are divided in Ireland and the proponents of it and particularly the government need to explain to people why they think it's a good idea and they have to actually campaign for it in a way which they haven't done because people just simply don't know about it and there's an awful lot of misinformation. So if they want to win, they have to go out and fight for it.
2: All right. OK. And actually, that you know, that's a good moment to say if you want to inform your friends and family about the facts around this referendum, uh, the best idea is to give them a link to this podcast and they can find out all about it. And that's a note I think we'll have to (laughs) finish up on. Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Looks... uh,
1: As always.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It looks looks like that's all we have time for anyway.
1: As always, we'll be posting some great bonus content over on our Patreon page to thank all of our supporters. That's over at patreon.com forward slash the Irish passport.
2: As always as well, special thanks goes to our sponsors, biddymurphy.com. Remember, you can get authentic Irish gifts and products made by manufacturers on the island of Ireland, over on their website, www.biddymurphy.com. Sloan for now. Sloan, everyone.